Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook. If you would like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Tonight we have really good poets. Um, uh, uh, Elena Karina uh, Byrne will unfortunately not be here tonight, as I'm sure most of you know. But anyway, um, some uh, a friend will be or a colleague will be reading uh, her stuff, and so let's just say she's with us, and feel good about that. And uh, Carol uh, Moldau. We'll, of course, be reading from her, her new book, which is, I guess, made up of some new stuff and then some of the older stuff. And I, I was reading it, actually, today. It's it pretty good, actually. I liked it. No, I really did. I was like, well, you know, I, well, you know a lot of times po- there's, like, poets that, like, are all about form and then, the, you know, the substance isn't there. But there's, like, some real meat to these poems, so I, I liked them. Hmm? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we got two great poets. I could go over their resumes, which are extremely extensive, um, but I, I don't think I need to. Let's let the poetry speak for itself. And please remember, Skylight is an independent bookstore. Okay, We are not boarders. We are not a big corporation. So anything you guys buy here helps us make events like this possible. So... Please just keep that in your heads, and I'm, uh, you coming up first? I'm going to read one poem of Atlanta's, then I'm going to read what she's going to read. All right, well, you guys will figure it out. Here's <laughs> Carol. Thank you all for coming. I know some of you probably didn't know that Elena wasn't coming, and I know she would love to be here. Um, So I'm going to read one poem of Lena's and then let Amy read a number of her poems and then I'll come back and read my poems. And this is a new poem of hers. Um, I think that's better. I don't even know if I need this. But in any case, it's new. I don't think it's published. And it's called Georgia O'Keeffe's First Equivalent. And one reason I picked it is because I'm from New Mexico. And so I thought, oh, well, there's something in common. So excuse me, because I don't know how she reads her work. I've never heard her read. Some of the, there's phrases in italics, which you'll just have to sort of intuit. And I believe that those are phrases in in O'Keeffe's voice. I had to paint it, to return to the female image again and again when I was awake among the mountains. I felt them there. And all the alligator pears hanging close to my bedroom window eyeing me brightly. There's something I know, the unexplainable thing accompanied by color, more exact than words. Forget the hazards that invert what I see like a sky above clouds or the body's response before the feeling, before I need the blue, accustomed to disagreement. The color grew as I painted. I withstood the days 
equivalent to what I felt, because this is what I had to do, bending my face down, this close to the mournful mouths of flowers, to the polished black tarantula wasps ticking across the bleached sand, their legs like the points of a compass, all the math left behind. As if I think and see what you think and see of the flower, but I don't which is why I am here alone with that intangible thing in myself, all reenactment, silent, smaller and smaller in a black space, a black bird flying, always there, always going away, the green muslin rivers motioning, large rocks seen from the air. Can you see them? Pelvis bones lay about the house, indoors and out. A door was painted many times. A dinner with pears was eaten next to one of the many dead cedars in the countryside. A door was painted many times. Okay. Hi, I'm Amy Davis, and Elena asked several of us to come fill in for her tonight when she knew she couldn't make it. And she really does want to be here, but she really can't be. And I guess I'm the only person who could. Um, I hope I can do these a little bit of justice. Um, the one thing that Elena did with this book that she sometimes talks about is she says she broke all the rules. Every single poem in this book called Mask belongs, begins with an epigraph. And she says, you're not supposed to do that, but she did. And these are all essentially persona poems or mask poems. And the first one, uh, the epigraph is from Hart Crane. Your head unrocking to a pulse already hollowed by air posts a white paraphrase among bruised roses on a peppered wall. Paraphrase, paper mask. This one was presented to me while I was falling asleep. Paper mache wall, veil of paraphrase from the words you sent, from the perishing stanzas in the bed. To assume this air appearance, one bruised shadow on the new white paper, skin of God, letter, simple sum of both our voices. I was speaking from the mask with the tongue of pearls. My breath softened this compromise and the edges of the mask. I wore all the extravagance of lost syllables. I was sleeping on paper. I was speaking from the tapestried books of Eros, speaking to your wrists. It was the pulse of dying bees, pale in a bowl, carried across a dry field. The sky was a blank page of the mask. Bees, this terrifying devotion to language. And this one is called Bee Mask. And the epigraph is from Sylvia Plath, and it reads, the queen bee marries the winter of your year. Your bleached headdress for the garden, closed in canvas canopy and gossamer shield, keeps them just away word away, sweet enough, swooned, hovering in their swarm, the dizzy worker bees, like small indecisions, float their anvils over the air, trying to find the open flower of your ears, strange vernacular. 
You sleep out these margin cargoes of light, tinted holograms. The engine, the box hive, keeps new time and the head, and the head mask, like a fallen ghost of an archangel, refuses to see. Now, flying is outright falling, like the voice swaying over, but don't speak. Bees duplicate enough rage when following the queen. What other sound forgave the beginning of each minute? Listen. You come to the ground's frenzied confessions knitted from so many fresh blossoms. Here you will always know April and every hour's almost up where the beekeeper explains your name down the very path of doubt. Uh, orphan Mask, l'état c'est moi, Louis XIV. No, I am the state scaled down to size. A double indemnity, a geranium in the dry fist of winter. Dear kindness, do not come looking for me. It is too late. I cannot tame what is about to happen. You see, one dreams the territorial. Someone has your story, shares a perversion for oversized rooms and high ceilings, but has no home, no idle realm, nor lasting digression. I love a god alone, like me, swinging from his hammock, his black mouth open with a real despair for stars, a convert companion who collects anchors and maps, squanders cheating, spits shiny watermelon seeds into a little coffin paper bed of the empty chocolate box, a self-punishment for knowing no one. And because the broken scullery is filled with strychnine in tins, wallpaper smothered cornflowers sealed in arsenic who say, yes, I say, yes, but cannot return the favor. So, to temper this rush blood feeling inherited at birth, I place my every seal in red wax, my signature and no domain air down. Leave me now, you know, I have handmade work to do, ragged heirloom, chromosome ruin, and mournful prophecy memory, because there will be no unjust space big enough for me. This is called Sturm und Drang Mask. Late 18th century German literature was trying to free itself from French influence. Josepha H. Byrne in Mrs. Byrne's Dictionary of Unusual, Obscure, and Preposterous Words. This is territorial now. Close the gates. Expel all soft syllables and slaves. God with his domain of insults and family silver. Get out the buckets and sex toys. A storm is coming, brewing and billowing, a blue-black cloud our way. Give me the liberty of words and memorable watermarks on the soil. Give me the tendency to be my own tyrant. Give me the time of day when light is a stranger asking for food at our door. Everything is empire here. We can squander what we know best, break the crude spell of the calendar for something a little more passionate and our own, I know I am heavy-handed like this. The disproportionate picture pulled from the black lake, the shape of the last breath in my mouth. 
I know I want to make a move unmoored. Water reads my hair, your hands part of my body, but there's no going back. I am qualified to give myself a new name. Implicit display of bad temper. Revolt tourniquet flag tied around your thigh. I am Werther's sorrow. Let no sanity save me. Hurry, send this letter to the solitude Paris and Stuttgart first, then on to France. I can only imagine what you're going to have to do with me next. This is the history of restoration, grief mask. And my brush, continuously dripping onto my face, turns it to a rich mosaic, Michelangelo from a sonnet on himself at work in the Sistine Chapel. The French flannel in your hand, soaked in solution, drips down your raised arm, round your neck, slipping its tiny wet tongue between your breasts. The lacquered color that changed with soot and grease from tallow of altar candles now comes shocking as the future in front of you. Your body is contorted, your arms white, numb. Everything is slowing down. You'd rather peel potatoes with your teeth than see yourself smiling among the people being pulled with you out of the shadow of the painting. But you want to get back to fail the silence, humiliated idiom, to remember the original face spilling out into the room. The windows are open, but you are still running out of air. Visitors tell you to stay up all night with it, to take the portrait back to its intended patina, that all chose hours will be forgotten in it, that all those hours will be forgotten in an instant the pain in your legs will be worth it. You'll have no time to eat because this is an ongoing elegy to the body dividing its image. How many times will you clean, salvage, stato di animo, inhabit the rush of darkness? Don't you know destiny has always been boring, giving you a glimpse of reconciliation? And you'll admit the face was a catwalk out of the past, your own receding pose. There now, don't despair. We have always made strangers out of ourselves by loving others. Spring mask, heartbreak. And who asked springtime for its kingdom of clean air? Pablo Neruda. <laughs> Deep sleep, glister and minnow, half-eaten rose or last resort, favorite impulse place here, covered in cut grass and human ash, a eucalyptus awning, high over her, where he bore in mind, behind, the hard winds swing toward her head, where the garden was never eaves, a lilac black lilac blackened, blocking this light all winter, tight green bud tongues, metallic taste of early green when she didn't know any better to peel wet petals back with her teeth or call the cold from under all the doors, new stitched fail of ice on the windows, veil for lace, spider's gauze, failed lasting grace, lace 
hiss, lacking remorse, so that this spring can come on with its clear air and clean earth, 12 hands on 12 clocks sweeping the bride's hair, her becoming a paper kite, ascending the indecent blue of him. Wedding mask. Always this passion for illusion. That's from Goethe in Mistopheles in Faust, part one. Candle wax and white flame. He was nostalgic and had the lost complexion of deep winter, all devout and devotion. Ceremonial. She was ready to sing if she had to, anything infatuating and misunderstood. She was the sweet, returning temperament of silk clothes fallen to the floor he counted on, mixed with longings inexorable, the seamless darkness of the universe, crushed, Victorian blue grass, flower bulbs filled with champagne, dark peach velvet trim, the succession of the years was always his assertion. Taste here, but don't look this time, she said, offering the unconditional apologies of her hands over his body, as the rain overhead made salt and pepper, pepper and salt and pepper and new snow. Um, I've only got two more, so let me just finish these up and then give the floor to Carol. Um, Rorschach or Muse? Narcissism, Rorschach mask. And the quote is from Lillian Feld, Associate Professor of Psychology at Emory University. If you show someone one of the blots, a well-known one that looks like a bat or a butterfly, and he looks at that and sees a giraffe, it is not a good sign. <laughs> Train cut crushed pennies, pretty, without the mirror image, twins whose seams tongue the ridge of clouds, they are not angels because angels don't wear out their high-heeled red pomegranates, thin skin sex. The tomato's aspic is left. Say, the last dusk put on its face, the oil print on glass, but that is no consolation. To, human being, to, to being human or hurt by the lover who can't finish his sentence, this picture has been pushed too far. The lupine lost its nipple and an empty bowl its blue. For the first time I can see who washed up on shore, who took the darkness down, and who invented the tweak in the bad engine. It's the same person who squeezed you right out of yourself, one cherry at a time. The stain for false impressions dried bloodletting flames, ready to eat, to be eaten. You can't see yourself twice, but hunger brings you back to the table, ink blotted, all sugared for argument's sake. Manifest destiny mask, flying. With what instruments do we measure the integrity of our minds filled with each other? Forrest Gander. With what we are measureless inside the undefined space in each other, expanse aria, this hello paragraph of dreaming, thin air, future air. 
burning gold and purple feathers on the horizon some two miles above, green and brown squares of earth with no boundaries, no cognitive weight, no country's flag or map pinned with new names. Nothing can come close, no other recovering sky, no 19th century craft, no other. Kind of undoing, filling the lungs with oxygen, these heights are made for falling, that apprehension of distance. But what weightless wash, what turbulent thought sets spinning on its downward rush makes you acolyte to the body, uncounted for in breathing. Ho hover, see for miles, wing and never hit the ground of your conscious clock to know where you are going from here weight and sway exceed any dilemma, then open hands, our mouths wide to eat wind, become weightless as dying, effusive as bees, landless where the generous erotic century always has been by the waste. Gravity's pulse baptized upside down, the horizon's teeth sinking into our flesh, past jet stream or axis, and once lifted, we will blue and glitter west from the northern locus, that we will arouse each other's memory for something far too blinding and light ahead to walk and walk this blue plank of darkness. Well, that was beautiful to hear Elena's poem, such generous act as a friend. I'm thrilled to be here um, in Los Angeles at Skylight Books, seeing faces I know intimately and faces I've never seen. It's just a pleasure. Um, so I, and to be reading from my new book. So <laughs> I'm going to start with a short lyric called Out of the West. Out of the West, unexpected, lyric, a stand of yellow irises rises from the pond muck. Two horses graze the field, one limping from the fire they fled. Matter and spirit, meet, love, argue, wherever you rest your eyes, on microscopic midges, horseflies. This um, next poem is called Vapor Trail. It seems like it's the wrong, okay. While Mars glints in the sky like a ruby the size of a grapefruit, like in a movie a hand grenade lobbed and sizzling closer to earth now than what might as well be ever. And our daughter, 8,000 miles from where she was born, sleeps on the couch the sleep of the safely arrived, her first great grand jeté already behind her. And settled next to me, neurons of consciousness nocturnally slackened, unknotted in the exalted sleep of the exhausted. You blow out your cheeks like a puffer fish afloat in the indigo vat of the vast. 
and though distracted by crickets monotonically intent on giving me direction from the cracks and corners, I pursue in lines that don't yet exist a metaphor's vanishing vapor trail, mushroom clouds of meaning, a device of the next generation, handmade, clandestine, intricate, mass-produced, officially sanctioned, beyond my ability to take in, to ignore, somewhere it could be anywhere, if alive we'll read about it with horror, explodes. And this next poem is called Matter and Spirit, and it's in two short, short it's in seven short sections, and um, any explanation I give you, you'll know within the first few lines. But each section has a title, and this first the first one's in the beginning. Mortified by their attraction, whoever introduced them long forgotten, matter and spirit meet on the sly, their affair an open secret. Upstairs to the left. Matter turns down the sheets, spirit closes the blinds. An itinerant composer hearing the creaking bed springs fills a page with half notes, quarter notes, melisma. The desk clerk drowsing in front of a deck of cards dreams of palm fronds, asphalt blistering in the sun. Together all night. Whereas matter predictably snores, spirit can't sleep, even in the amniotic sac, an insomniac. Rendezvous of one. One day, matter receives a wire. Indefinite delay. Proceed. So matter sets off alone, collects the key, saunters in, pulls the shade, retreats to a corner chair, unzips to film strip in his head, footage shot on the empty bed. Traffic. Stuck in traffic, matter desperately tries telepathy. I'll be late, please wait. I'll be late, please wait. Spirit gets the message, but not so above it all, after all, turns on her heel, put out by his feet of clay. <laughs> Cat's cradle. Without matter, spirit knocks about the house, forgets to dress. Hours evaporate without having come full boil. The day a sketch pad, blank of the rough thoughts one had thought to but didn't sketch out. Hands ache with inaction, if only to mold clay, string a cat's cradle, cradle a cat. Chain reaction. The bliss that spirit feels the satisfaction that is matters as they commingle. Are they, do they look the same? A full moon's held note, a chain of clouds like a chain of islands, the unfurling fern frond of a seahorse's tail, a Siberian iris, a cool blue ibis, rain inside a mausoleum, rain under a tin roof, a porcupine and a spice pomander, Paired, what is there to bind them? Aside from a wandering mind's bliss, its satisfaction. Mm. Now, this next poem was the 
first poem in my first book, and um, the title comes from where I lived in Berkeley, and I'm where <laughs> Hope, who's in the audience and helped arrange this reading, also lived uh, in the same, we were neighbors at 64 Panoramic Way, and um, so I'm reading it, I guess in, on, in your honor. <laughs> like easy conversation, rambling, obliquely angled, the winding street traverses the steep residential hill. Stone stairs ladder stitch the street's tiers. Every few rungs open on terraces, windows glinting through hedges, sunlight feathering grass. At the first switchback, pine needles tufted with dog fur pad the wide cracked steps leading to a cottage and two ramshackle shingle houses. From the lintel of an illegal basement apartment, magenta, fuchsia, silent bells bob and sag over a pot's rim. Higher, up narrow stairs built over rubble, we climb to the top deck. What was our garden now grows wild onions, white flowers, and butter yellow weeds, winter's mohair throw draping a bare mattress. By late spring, someone else or no one will be bending to pick cool herbs like single guitar notes. Something knots my throat. Indecipherable decibels begin jackhammering inside number D, our old address. Black Sabbath? Iron Maiden? I know our own records by the first chord. Pounding, we try the unlocked door and pick our way through a year's domestic fallout. Dropped clothes, album sleeves, mattresses blocking entrances, plates, cups, hangers, books. I trip trying not to look. Waving on the balcony, an old guest, now our host, offers us the view. At this time of year, no yellow beech roses tumble the latticed railing, no draft of honeysuckle, no bees flitting near their hive. Cars nose around the hairpin turn, looking past Berkeley's hazy flat grids, past Oakland, you can see as if you flicked a painted fan open, a striped spinnaker tacking the wide bay, three bridges, and San Francisco shrugging off her damp negligee. Um, see, I think I'll have a sip of water. lug of water. <laughs> this is called the butterfly and it has an epigraph which is from um, the East Indian book. I always say East Indian because in Mexico if you say Indian people think it's Native American Indian so the East Indian book of classical dance, Natya Shastra is called and it goes the eye follows the hand, the mind follows the eye, the heart follows the mind. Last time I was saying that, and I've said it, you know, I mean, I wrote this poem not recently. I thought, is it the heart that follows the mind, or is it the mind that follows the heart? But who am I to argue with the book of classical? Anyway, the butterfly. With no appreciable weight, a butterfly alit and rode my finger an hour or longer. Holding my hand ahead, I let the butterfly lead. We walked down to the kill 
its wings an upright sail. I was almost afraid to breathe, but my feet knew the path, its slipknot roots and slingshot branches. I sat down on a rock. I couldn't believe my luck. The world then seemed kind, a butterfly on my hand, its bronze wings spread flat, pulsing to raise its body heat. Like a fluttering eyelash, it tickled the web of flesh between forefinger and thumb. My life can never be the same, I thought, studying the leopard spots of its eyes, its veins like pleats, its scalloped scales, its legs, six knobby little twigs, the thorax's fuzzy patina, the two slender antennae, bulb-tipped like matchsticks, and the pointed black circumflex markings on each scored wing, accents from the mother tongue. With its proboscis, it sipped salt from my hand and tapped out a secret code, the secret names of God, invisible to man, imprinted on my skin. If I could have become a fern, a stone, a stalk of corn. Instead, my left hand twitched and the butterfly detached itself all in a breath, my article of faith momentarily tame as if out of a dream, now circling the rock, not coming back. What happened to this poem here? Oh, I know. So there, here's, here's my part of the rock and roll. This is called Lou Reed in Istanbul. <laughs> um, it takes a while to get to Lou Reed, but... In the poem I had in mind, one blue-tiled stanza containing a striped divan and a single tulip slip ends at a lattice window behind whose fretwork an entire regiment of red-turbaned tulips is posted, standing guard with drawn daggers. Steam obscured one stanza, making its marble sweat, veiling its women's naked boredom with languor, their faint mustachios with clove-scented dew, dew that dissolves on the tongue like sugar, but tastes bitter briny, indigestible as tears. A sinuous line of incense led to an inner courtyard where someone crouched over a brass brazier, fanned wisps of musky smoke up the bellows of her skirt. Hearing the click-clack of my heels on the cobble, she turned to appraise me quickly got back to work. That mother of pearl intarsiate poem, poem of the narrow-necked vase, the bejeweled mirror, of pumice and water pipes and plush labyrinthian women who glide up from the foot of the bed, who hide their emotions even from the moon, Lou Reed Shanghai that poem. He runs its arched passageways despotic as a eunuch, slouches on its pillows, the sheer stocking corseleted crossdresser on Transformers cover, where in Bilbao at 17, listening to Vicious, to Satellite of Love, in a Spanish boy's bed, a year before Franco finally died, high on codeine cough syrup, I first saw him, his cock in the facing photo, a concealed nightstick. Now, listening to his roughed-up deadpan under a domed moon just up the Bosphorus from Topkapi's Seralgo, 
Watching some starlings swoop toward the stage to flit in the lights, I remember how it felt. Swoop, swoop, oh baby, rock, rock. <laughs> the blood rush of being set loose. <laughs> This is a poem for my daughter, and it's called Report. The articulation of my bones, a bird's, I woke not just not knowing where or who, but what I was, my opened arm a wing in which she rested, the two of us fuscus infused in the feathery half-dark, until that consciousness that's always roving testing that's roving now, striving to assemble an accurate report, probed further into the feeling and found me made of string and straw, bits of silky floss licked together, a nest shaped to fit her unfledged shape, an account of ourselves I accepted until daylight pried apart the louvers and I discovered myself fingering the soft stubbles of her shaven hair. Um, I'm going to read two, two more poems. This, this is another poem in sections, and it's called um, Studies in Pen and Ink. And I, I've always, I don't know, I was surprised when I realized how many poems I'd written that had been inspired by visual arts of one kind or another. And um, this is is kind of like that, except for most of the art in it is made up. And um, I've always loved studies for paintings as much or sometimes more than I've loved paintings. You know, the kind of um, jumble and unfinished quality and the way it doesn't quite make linear sense. You know, there might be lots of hands or heads or legs and everything sort of strewn about. It's always appealed to me. But, and that's what I was striving for in this in some ways. Um, and it has an epigraph from Martin Luther, and that is, um, just because a bird flies over your head doesn't mean you have to build a nest for it in your hair. <laughs> and I actually first heard that in, that's in, it's in, it, somebody quotes it, or is reading it in a Bergman film. I think it's Smiles of a Summer Night, and that's when I first saw that quote. <clears throat> Studies in pen and ink. Um, it's in six sections, I think. A cigarette tucked at a rakish angle behind a donkey driver's ear. A gold coin in the ear's whirl. A man and a woman bouncing along behind him in his cart, while a woman in a silk chemise stands to adjust her garter and black stocking. One foot up on the cart's nearest wheel a man's disjointed arm jutting between her legs, in his fist a rock aimed at a Rottweiler. Krishna, in parentheses, the driver's name. Taped to a self-portrait, a news clipping, an AP photograph of four Croatian soldiers mugging for the camera in what was then Tomislavgrad, Yugoslavia. The artist looks like herself, and one of the soldiers looks like the artist, which must be why she thought to make the sketch. Both women's waists are singed over bulky camouflaged jackets. Each has one foot off the ground as if leaping. Both smile, dimpled, exuberant. A pistol handle sticks out of each one's side pant pocket. Each raises two fingers in a V, 
but only the real soldier has nail polish visible on her thumb. Bite marks on a bent foreknuckle, fingers spread to press flat a poem's crumpled tear sheet, wrists at the center of a pinwheel, Going clockwise, the cross-hatched, overlapping sets of hands are cupped, relaxed, grasping, clenched, and then a knotted rheumatoid claw. Index and middle fingers raised in a V, repeated once, turned sideways, a pair of scissors snipping, snipping away at the page. The man and the woman whose breasts he cups from behind exist on the same plane, while the sprawling man whose hand clutches for her thigh and the woman who leans over the edge of the bed, the man pursing his lips, the one kneeling to pray, are drawn at diagonals and the contact they make is wayward, tangential. Her eyes are closed, her hands are bound, her hands are half erased. She has more arms than Vishnu. Arching one behind her, she encircles her lover's head and pressing the base of his skull, presses her, his mouth to her neck. Hands crumple the bedsheets, open like a lotus. One covers the hand at her breast, one's flat at her side, one's crooked at the elbow, suppressing a yawn. The strawberry da Vinci drew in cross-section on one side of a notebook page bleeds through to cushion a fetus floating on the back. By now, the ink has browned, the papers cracked, dimly lit, encased upright and displayed in glass for us to circle. Case after case of notebook pages, we pause before and pass in accelerating knots and curly cues. The coition of a hemisected man and woman no more observed or accurate than a flying machine. A tube from the testicles, the seat of ardor, leads straight to the heart. Once, in a videotape of surgery, I saw fimbria wafting in the body's fluid like seaweed underwater. The ovaries looked like sponge or coral. Here, the woman's heart's a dial. I hear my own timer ticking, ticking fast, the parts dissected, tagged, and reassembled, but never yet disarmed or detonated. Here, here's the blueprint, recto and verso, marked up in mirror script. The deeper I delve, the more I feel objective. Pushed by the crowd, we rush through in under an hour, a living page, one of the studies on water. Landscape with a corn snake sunning itself on a husked branch of a dead tree. Afternoon shade gloves a left hand. The waterfalls, diaphanous shawls, a yashmak, leaves only the eyes unveiled, the third eye like a horse's blaze on the stone forehead. Hoofprints brand the wet grass, the pools scattershot with catkins and leaves. Rock moss oozes between my toes as I wade in, testing the water, the watermark, the ink, the line, the line of argument, the pen. 
and in my hair a myriad of nests, one for every bird. Um, this last poem is actually the first poem in, in this book. It's one of my, the new poems. And it's a pantoum, which is a repeating form, some of you might know. Um, and it was, um, there's, it incorporates phrases, language from quilting, because it came out of a, a project with a quilter. And also it incorporates um, uh, words from um, a book called Writing by Agnes Martin. And Agnes Martin is a, a minimalist painter who lived in New Mexico for many years, a really beautiful work. And she was very eccentric, and she wrote this wonderful book of really aphorisms. They're kind of wild. And anyway, they're, they're um, quilted into this poem, which is called Quilted Pantoum. Composition is an absolute mystery. To penetrate the night is one thing. You get light enough and you levitate. To be penetrated by the night, another. To penetrate the night is one thing. The mind knows what the eye has not seen. To be penetrated by the night, another. Overtaken, we feel a certain devotion. The mind knows what the eye has not seen. Perfection, of course, cannot be represented. Overtaken, we feel a certain devotion. Think of a shibori-dyed silk organza quilt. Perfection, of course, cannot be represented, pieced and layered a little bit off the square. Think of a shibori-dyed silk organza quilt, but without batting, transparent, floating, pieced and layered, a little bit off the square, the layers hand-tied together with horsehair, but without batting, transparent, floating. Try to understand, court misunderstanding. The layers hand-tied together with horsehair, the grids of the layers overlap like voices. Try to understand, court misunderstanding. The seams like letting show through. The grids of the layers overlap like voices. One thing I've got a good grip on is remorse. The seams like letting show through. Before it's put on paper, it exists in the mind. One thing I've got a good grip on is remorse. Technique a hazard, interruptions a disaster. Before it's put on paper, it exists in the mind. Rectangles lighten the square's weight. Technique, a hazard, interruptions, a disaster. Composition is an absolute mystery. Rectangles lighten the square's weight. You get light enough and you levitate. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.